Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good Friday afternoon to you and a warm welcome to you. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts in the course of an hour, plus a couple of stocks of the day. It's Friday the 13th of May. Now our two expert guests here for the full hour, Andrew Page from strawman.com, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Hello to you both. I'm not wasting any time to talk about the broader market conditions today because I'm absolutely 100% sure it's going to come up in conversation throughout. So I will get right to what we are expecting to talk about this hour, and it is Stealth Global. SGI is the ticker code for that. AGL is one of them as well. This is from Felicity. Xpon Technology, XPN, Dr. Care Anywhere, and Technology One. Now, I did something a little different for the stock of the day. I thought we'd have, yeah, a bit of a Friday after what has been a crazy week, particularly for small cap investors. So with these wild card markets, I've experts asked our experts to share a you got to know when to fold them type sell. You know, hold them or fold them. And this one we're going to get a fold. So I'll start with you, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. What is a sell, a clear sell in this environment to you? Well, well I have no no position in this one, but just as a, as a matter of an intellectual uh, in exercise, I thought I'd go with Webjet as my sell. Uh, essentially, you know, we all know what Webjet is. It's this sort of the travel booking website, uh, very much internet 1.0. Now, if I take you back to before the pandemic, there were a few things that were concerning for Webjet, for example, you know, Google increasingly encroaching in search, which, you know, at the time didn't matter too much for Webjet because they had a strong um, brand habit of people just going straight to the Webjet website. Uh, so they had a good brand there. And, um, you know, essentially they were saying it's fine, but that still, that still was a negative for them, right? And, uh, you know, fast forward to here we are today. Yes, the share price is about half what it was prior to the pandemic. But for quite some time now, including as we're speaking right now, the market capitalization is basically the same as what it was before the pandemic. So the company itself, according to the market, is worth the same now in 2022 as it was, you know, way back before the pandemic when we as Australians were this massive country of travelers. You know, everybody from the student to the family wants to get overseas and go to Japan or Europe or whatever as often as they can. And on top of that, you know, it's very normal to have almost needless trips to Melbourne or Sydney. You know, I used to fly down to Melbourne just to like see friends and, and catch up and go to go to an AGM in person. Right. That that was what I would, you know, often do. But the pandemic has changed those things. Like I'm not going to get into a, a plane now to go down um, to go to an AGM and just for a day, which is something that I used to do. And th the reason is, is because, you know, you there are so many reasons for it. But first of all, it's far more common for things to be um, actually online now and you can zoom into the AGM. So that is a massive positive there. But on top of that, 
you know, I went to my friend's wedding two weeks ago now and like got COVID and now I've spent the last two weeks coughing up my lungs. Like, yeah, okay, sure. I took that for my friend's wedding, but I'm not going to risk that just to get on a plane to go to an AGM. And I know so many friends who've gotten it from a plane and it, it takes a week or two out of your life. It's, it's not worth it. So people will minimize some of that unnecessary travel. They'll do the travel they need to do, but they'll, mm-hmm. there will be still a bit less travel. So I don't see how any way you look at it, especially with fuel prices at the moment going up and all of that sort of stuff as well, which puts up the price of plane tickets. Um, mm. I don't see how this company is going to be worth what it was prior to the pandemic. Like the world has changed. I think that ultimately it was a step down for these kind of companies. And also they've lost some of that brand value because we've had two years where we've gotten out of the habit of always going to webjet.com.au. Got it. Thanks, Claude. Look, I'm still keen to travel, I will say, but I've never used Webjet myself. So that's my two cents. Uh, Just a very quick agree or disagree, Andrew, and then I'd like to get your sell on this day. Ah, geez, I haven't looked at it closely for a while, but I, I think I think Claude is right that the world has changed. It's it's. I know you wanted an agree or disagree, so I'll go with an agree. Got it. Uh, Thank thanks, you. Mate. And what would you be selling now, Andrew? I I couldn't resist my favourite whipping boy, Nadine. Um, I'm going to go with AMP. Uh, the turnaround that's forever trying to turn around. Uh, the business that has just collapsed over the last 10 years, the one that sort of holds this mantle of blue chip company, which, you know, dividends, they, well, they don't pay them anymore, but, uh, you know, they were 23 cents 10 years ago. Uh, earnings are just going down and down and down. And, you know, I think what what this is a really good lesson in is, you know, turnaround's not turning, but also when you've got a people business, and AMP is a people business, and the culture there just seems pretty wrecked. And how do you, that's... That's hard. That's not a question of fixing some machinery or, you know, making some investments in warehousing. This is fixing a culture, a deeply embedded culture, and it is very, very, very hard to do. So I think I I talk to, you know, some investors and they sort of go, I've lost so much now, you know, I might as well just hang on. I just think that is entirely the wrong thing. One, there's opportunity cost because you could press a couple buttons, realize a lovely loss that you can offset against some other gains elsewhere Mm -hmm. and put it onto a different different um, business. One that's one that's got some decent potential. Get the hell out. There you go. And just a right of reply from you, of course, Claude, agree or disagree? Uh, I definitely agree with this one. Um, Yeah, it's like. It's basically about connecting investors who trust the brand with, um, you know, in uh, professionals who would want to go and work there. And they've damaged themselves on both sides of things. Like people don't trust the brand as much and people don't want to work there as much. There. Got it. Thanks, guys. Let's get on to the list of stocks that our audience has nominated. And the first one is for Daria and it is Stealth Global SGI. Claude, I'll start with you. All right, cool. Uh, Well, this is actually one that has come up uh, a while back and um, just in in February, actually, just before it put out its its results. And I was on with Luke Winchester and I sort of said it's one to watch, but I want to see more track record. I I flagged then, um, you know, both that for this, this is so what this company is, it's a distribution company of um, tools and safety equipment and that kind of thing. Um, But it's also a roll up, right? And it's also quite small and not and not profitable yet. And, um, you know, I had sort of had some on my positive side of the red ledger, ledger then in February, um, the chairman had said he had extreme confidence in robust financial results going forward. Well, fast forward a few months and we've actually got those financial results. 
And what we see is that, you know, despite the fact that sales revenue did improve, you know, largely as a result of acquisitions, um, you know, the, the profit after tax was completely due to, due to discontinued oper operations. I'm actually made a loss from continuing operations before tax. Now, that is definitely problematic because, uh, you know, basically they say they're targeting an underlying a bit the margin of 6%, but that underlying, um, that underlying a bit, though, it's not going to pay the bills. These guys are a company that has, uh, looking at it, about mm, uh, almost 15 million in total debt, right? So it has debt. It, that means it can't just keep on losing money forever or it's going to get into a pickle. And on top of that, it has uh, quite a lot of working capital needs because it's a distributor. It needs to have cash coming in so that it can fund its inventory, so that it can send things out. And now I'll just take you back to Warren Buffett's 1981 letter to investors. He makes it quite clear that the kind of business that does well in an inflationary environment is one that has pricing power, first of all. And, you know, I wouldn't say a distributor has much pricing power. They're typically super low margin businesses, right? And then secondly, um, ones that are not capital intensive. So, you know, there might be a little bit of pricing power here, but if it was a really big, strong company with the super great, um, you know, balance sheet, then maybe that capital intensity doesn't matter too much. But this is a little company in an inflationary environment that is very capital intensive. So as the cost of everything goes up, what it's going to need to carry on its balance sheet in terms of that inventory is going to go up. That means even if it's making a profit and selling things for a profit, things cost more the next day. So it needs more money coming in. It's a, it's a, it's a cash sinkhole. So, um, you know, given all of that, Given the changed environment in six months, we know that inflation is higher than we thought it was before. And even if it's peaked already now, it's still probably quite high for a while. I would actually take this and avoid it. I wouldn't go there. Andrew, I'd do you sell. feel differently? And I knew that this changed environment, <laughs> this inflationary environment was going to get quite a lot of airtime today. Oh, man, Claude. Um... And I've spent the last few months building a pretty big position in Stealth Global. Um, oh, sorry, <laughs> so dude. Let me, let me give you the counter here. So we've got a bit of insight here. First off, I've got to give a, a shout out to a member of ours, Dr. Peter, who brought it to our attention. Uh, we had the pleasure of speaking to Mike Arnold, the CEO, also the largest shareholder back in, in early April. And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a business that takes a bit of time to get your head around. And, and yeah, you saw that chart there. So it's fairly illiquid. It's ridiculously small, ten or eleven million dollars market cap, but that that belies the sky, the size, scope, potential of this business. So this is a business on a, an annual run rate of a hundred million. Uh, there, yes, a bit of a boost from some acquisitions there, but they've been very savvy acquirers at low multiples. Mike's on target for about two hundred million dollars in revenue. Their peers in the U.S. for these kinds of what they call MRO businesses tend to be on something like 12, 16% EBITDA margins. They, they think they can do about 8% uh, also. Um, an extremely diversified customer base, about a third in mining, a quarter in manufacturing, make up the rest in change with transport, construction, agriculture. So very, very diverse, hugely fragmented industry, able to, able to sort of bolt on. Uh, you've got to be wary of roll-ups. Claude's right there, but they have been very savvy acquirers, very cheap prices, a real plug and play kind of model here that they can uh, invest in, um, integrate into their existing systems. And so while it's true, it's a volume game. Mike said that to us. It is low margin. Absolutely. There's probably some cyclicality with all of that as well. Yeah. Okay. There's supply chain issues at moments at the moment and, and sensitivity to FX movements. 
But I would argue, and I guess the big part of my thesis is aligned, capable management, a business that is growing well, not just from the acquisitions, but the organic growth has been pretty strong. And let me, the forward underlying P is probably going to be something like five or six times, right? And it's, you, know, it's, it, you, you could buy this business outright for 10 or $11 million that's on a $100 million revenue run rate and likely to double that over the next three, four years or so with widening margins. So it's not the kind of business I normally go for, but there's a lot of things here that I think look really interesting. Um, I'm biased, but it's a, it's a buy. It's a, it's a strong buy from me. Strong buy, wrote that down. There you go, some disagreement. It is what makes a market. We've got to move on from that though, so we'll have to leave it there. But AGL is on the list from Felicity. Wants to know, actually wants to know Andrew Page's view on AGL. Looks like there's some greenwashing going on with all the takeover talk still. Is it a buy? If not, is there an alternative? Andrew? Yeah, um, so this is fascinating, AGL. Um, if it was a three-hour show, I could fill it talking well, about AGL. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I know, I know. And you've, you've got a couple of difficult guests today, Nadine, so I'll do my best. Oh, you guys um, know that about yourselves, do you? <laughs> oh, yes, we know. Okay, all right. We, we can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. Um, so firstly, let's just be objective here. This is objectively a terribly run business. This is just the numbers, the revenues, you know, they've gone uh, only in one direction. Dividends have been declining in the last few years, you know, even just slightly above where they were seven, eight years ago. I mean, prior to this takeover talk, which has sort of helped lift shares up a little bit, you know, they were sitting at like these, these all-time lows. They're in a sunset industry. They've got these horrible assets on there. And more than anything, you've got a board who's completely got their head in the sand and not recognizing the reality of the future that we're going into. And this isn't about ESG. This isn't about the planet and the environment, although it's kind of very much about that. AGL does about as much emissions as Sweden and New Zealand. Hmm. And it's, you know, 8% of, of ours. It's a horrible business. Um, and here they are trying to run these assets that are a gazillion years old and just, you know, completely unreliable. So Mike Cannon-Brooks, someone who's extraordinarily smart with a bit of vision, is coming in here basically saying, we can run this better. And again, not from a, hey, let's save the planet kind of perspective. Let's let's do this from, for shareholders because there is a wonderful opportunity here. And so at, at the moment, would I buy this? No way. There's too much uncertainty. And if the demerger does go ahead, it's going to be bad news for the business. They're going to spin it differently. They've hired consultants that have surprised, surprised, told them what they want to hear and that this is a great deal and the board will get to keep their job. So there's, there's that as well. Um, but if if Mike uh, gets his way and the business um, uh, does see a change of ownership, I think then things look a lot more interesting. So maybe if you wanted to be a bit of an advocate for change and you were a shareholder, stay on until the vote comes through and vote against the demerger. Uh, if you're not a shareholder, don't go anywhere near it until we get some more certainty. That's that's the short answer. Thank you. Is it all just too uncertain, even for you, Claude, as an ethical investor, if Mike Cannon-Brooks does put the brakes on the demerger and essentially moves to take AGL green and clean? Well, um, it is very uncertain, I'll say that much. And I think that uh, Andrew really nailed it then in, in, in outlining the issues and, and some of the things to think about. But, you know, we're off to a fiery start because I'm actually, Andrew, I bought shares in AGL this oh, um, no. very recently this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let, let me explain why. So essentially, I do agree with what Andrew said. But also, I want to, like, wind the clock back a little bit to a time gone by when AGL was actually 
taking advantage of its massive it, um, market position, right? So it's vertically integrated with the power supplier and generator and retailer and every and everything. So it's a really sort of rare oligopoly kind of position. And um, it was had a previous CEO who was a really great CEO, uh, Andy Vesey. And in 2018, um, he got role. Well, officially he resigned, right? He quit. But, you know, there rolled. was a few things going on. And he, yeah, I, I reckon he got rolled and, and got kicked out. The share price was $20. Like, this was a disaster for shareholders. I mean, him going, he was a great CEO. He, him going was the sell signal, absolutely. That share price went all the way down to $5 before then you start having Mike Cannon-Brooks and other people sniffing around and saying, hey, well, look, we think we can create value here by coming in, buying shares, turfing out these guys that have overseen a massive value destruction from $20 in this oligopolistic business down to five. It's unbelievable, right? I don't know how any shareholders would be supporting them. But apparently there are a lot of institutional shareholders who vote against their own interests and the interests of their own investors, and they're not turfing out this board. And they're going ahead with this silly demerger, which is just going to make a weaker, less vertically integrated company. So now fast forward to today, and we have hope. We have Mike Cannon Brooks coming in there saying, hey, guys, let's buy a bunch of shares. Let's block this demerger, and then let's get this company back on track. So in my thinking of it, um, if the demerger does go ahead and Mike Cannonbrooks fails, then I'm going to have to sell my shares and I might take a little loss or I might not. Who knows? It's a pretty cheap dividend stock at this point. So I wouldn't think it's going to go down too much if that happens. On the plus side, this thing gets actually interesting if Mike Cannonbrooks starts taking control and or he gets a, a proxy on the board and starts really being able to throw his weight around in the company, then we might actually end up having a business that looks more like what this business looked like under Andy Vesey. And that's what interests me because I think give a little bit of time, we might actually start to see a, a re-rate upwards there. So what I've actually done is gone ahead and bought some shares in AGL mm -hmm. with the full intention to vote against the demerger. It's a bit of a special situation play for me. Um, but I'll be happy if, you know, I'll, I'll just hold my shares probably okay. and, and see how we go. And, and this demerger is obviously going to give us a new information. That, that vote you have to put your voting forms in by yep. the 13th of June. So we'll find out fairly soon. Potential catalyst. All right, let's get to number three. Guys, I'll tell you, you can look at your clocks. We're number three on the list. <laughs> Xpon Technologies, XPN. This is for Reese. Claude, I'm going to start with you. It's a small tech company, only listed late last year. Not a lot of history to go on. We know what we're dealing with in terms of tech stocks on a day-to-day -day, um, you know, day -day proposition. So what do you think about Xpon Technologies for Reese? Yeah, look, it's a great suggestion, and I thank Reese for putting it on the on the watch list for everybody. Um, but let's just uh, hit a few um, main points here. So this is a tech company that has, does a bit, bit um, buzzword heavy. Essentially, it's uh, it, it's a software ish. It's a software company, really. It, it does manage services, which it counts as its recurring revenue. I don't know about that, but um, software licensing, managed service usage fees, basically providing mainly software um, for marketers. So this in particular is focused on companies like, say, for example, Webjet, using the first party data that they collect off their own um, users. So when you log into um, Webjet, I guess, you know, you give them information, plus also they have all your travel history and all that sort of stuff. 
So they're getting, um, da you know, data on their repeat users, as does pretty much, you know, any retailer that like gives you $10 off to sign in and create an account. So it's really a platform that's designed about trying to make it easy for somebody without um, data analysis expertise to actually use this data and get insights out of it. So that's a good idea. Probably one of the negatives about the business is it actually isn't very focused on that. So it has like this one Daris platform, which I've roughly explained then. It's got this sort of other business, Holoscribe, which is um, used to create sort of semi-3D landscapes, extended reality, they call it. It doesn't seem to make any sense why the company would have this business. Um, it's not very focused there, so it's a bit problematic. Now, let's just look at the numbers really quickly. So essentially, one of the traps here for new players is if you go onto Comsec or something like that and look at what the market capitalization is right now, it's going to tell you it's $26 million, but that doesn't include the very, very real escrowed shares that haven't yet been listed. So once you include all those shares, it's actually closer to $58 million. Now against that, we've got the 14.5, just under 15 million ARR. So you could say it's on about uh, four times recurring revenue, but wait, uh, first of all, as we said, this is not really like sticky software recurring revenue necessarily because A, the marketing business can be very up and down. B, some of it's managed service, which I don't think is quite the same. And of course, C, that means that their gross margins are much lower than like the true Atlassian style revenue. Um, with a 66% gross margin. This is such a trap for new players. Like you just cannot compare the 66% gross margin software as a service business with um, the 80%, 85% true software as a service business. So on top of that, they do have a very high retention rate as a young business, 99.5%, which allows them to then advertise a very high LTV. I don't think you can rely on that. So the bottom line here is for me, this one would actually still be a sell. Um, just for a lot of reasons. But having said that, at half the price, I'd be I'd be interested. Half the price. And I wouldn't rule that out in this environment. How about you, no, neither. Andrew, when it comes to Xpon Technologies? Yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with it until um, the producer sent it through. So I we had to sort of rely on the numbers. And uh, yeah, you know, what? let's throw some out. 90% recurring revenue. Most recent quarter revenue was up 133%. The ARR was up 183%. $11 million of, of cash in the bank and high retention. So it's all got this really good story. But as is so often the case, and Claude's just touched on exactly the kind of things that you need to sort of dig into there. Um, you know, it's, I was actually saying, well, it feels pretty cheap. It's on two times uh, ARR. And uh, that, that, that annualized recurring revenue is growing really quickly. But, but what is ARR? There's, there's that. And uh, I'm glad that Claude explained some of the products here because it was a lot of buzzwords there. And that's not to de like legitimize what they do. It's just that it wasn't obvious. Like if I was to explain to a 12-year-old, what, what does this business do? You know, cloud-based digital marketing. I mean, what does that mean? You know, metaverse and this and that. And I'm, I'm sure it means something, but it's hard to get your head around in, in 20 minutes of preparation prior to the show mm -hmm. uh, for this company. So on all of those bases, I think, yes, it definitely looks interesting. They're, I mean, the numbers are, are telling a very encouraging story. I would want to know in much more detail what the actual business does, and I'd probably want a more attractive price as well. So for me, in that, in that case, it's like at best a watch list, um, but certainly not a buy. Thank you. Watch list for Xpon Technologies, Reese. Doctor Care Anywhere, DOC. This is for Jack. Andrew, I'll start with you. There was a lot of hype in the pandemic. We always mention the pandemic now, where we would continue to see a lot of, um, you know, telehealth essentially. And that is what Doctor Care Anywhere is into. It's 
it's um, in Australia, listed in Australia, but it's actually got a global presence. What do you make of the future prospects for that area of the market? In, well, in terms of a sector, I think it's huge. I mean, I, I can't imagine that if you just extrapolate what we're all doing now, I mean, we're, we're holding this interview with three of us in three different locations, right? Like it's, it's, it'll take a bit of a mind shift, but I, it, it's hard to see a future where telehealth isn't a far, far bigger thing. Um, the question, of course, is whether you know, these these are the guys that are, that are going to capture a big a big share of that. Um, the share price is down 75% since listing, so it's been a very rough ride for shareholders. But looking at their presentation, I mean, there's there's some really nice charts there that sort of go bottom left, top right. Whether you talk about consultations, either on a first time or repeat basis, uh, really strong growth in the most recent first quarter. You know, that's that's uh, essentially up, what is that? I can't do it in my head, but 80% or so. You've got something in terms of underlying revenue quarter on quarter, which is growing extremely strongly, pretty much doubled from where it was a year ago as well. I think the ironic thing is a lot of second order thinking needed with this pandemic because, yeah, obviously you'd think that this would be great for them. But what was interesting, of course, is that it actually impacted their margins because they had to pay doctors more who were so busy trying to put out all these fires over here to come and do this, which sort of meant that that sort of impacted things a little bit as well. But, you know, you're looking at something like a 40 percent contribution margin on a top line that seems to be growing pretty well with an adoption curve that seems to be moving in the right direction. And we were in a phase in the markets. This is the story of the tech crash right that we're in the in at the moment and tech stocks are down 40 percent as a, as a sector is that we had a market that was all about top line growth and who cares about cash flow it was all about total addressable market and we're off to the moon now you've got a market that's much more focused on sustainability scaling effectively profits there's a word we haven't heard for a while um you know all of these kinds of things and and what's interesting is with the share price falling 75 percent it's actually it's actually looking a lot more sensible. They think that they can get to uh, EBITDA positive in the first half of FY23. They're on a calendar year reporting basis, by the way. They've got 17 million pounds of cash in the in the bank. Last quarter they burnt through five, so that's a fairly decent cash burn. But the trajectory is they the management and again take 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 this with a grain of salt are saying that they should be able to sustain themselves through to that point without doing another raise. So if they can do that. Consultations keep going up. Margins remain pretty attractive. This looks like it's going to hit an inflection point and probably gets pretty attractive. Now, I, 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 that's, a, that's a very quick, high-level view. I haven't dug into it. But on that basis, I would say it's interesting, but not a buy. Thank you. How about you, uh, Claude? You who will oh. not travel any longer, et cetera. Does telehealth interest you? I, I'll still travel. I just need to have some sweet payoff like a wedding for it. Um, <laughs> No, so uh, the this one I actually was on the call uh, with Rudy back on the 30th of April 2021, and I called it a sell and explained how I'd made this exact mistake of just buying this stock right before the vaccines came out. And then I was like, oh, no, you know, this ta this tailwind is about to go into reverse. And it, sure enough, it has. And, you know, you can see that in the share price, which is down massively. And um, I said at the time, look, I'll come back in a year when we've cycling through this this sort of period where we had this massive wash to online stuff and then of course it moves back a little bit because it is very useful for people to go into the doctor from time to time some things you can do of course um electronically but um sometimes you'll you'll need to uh go into the doctor and just during that real height of COVID, obviously we had a lot of extra incentive to do it online so it's i agree with andrew basically i think it's interesting now but i would just add 
if I was a shareholder, I'd be really sweating that 5.5 million pound cash burn in the last quarter with just 17, 18 or whatever it is on the um, on the balance sheet, sheet, 17 million. So to me, yeah, okay, maybe underlying a bit the positive. Um, that's I wouldn't be taking too much um, comfort from that forecast for the first half of 2023. I would be very worried if they if they can't achieve that. I think that they end up diluting themselves at quite low prices and. I essentially wouldn't even buy shares. I wouldn't even look to buy shares until we've seen whether they can actually reach break even and, um, you know, whether they can stem the cash burn. So this is an avoid still a sell, even for Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Let's get to the next one on the list, Technology One, TNE. This is for Max because we've talked a lot about the pressure that tech stocks are coming under. But the mega trend to the cloud has not fundamentally changed. So that means that there are good businesses out there. That means that there are potential bargains to be had right now. Does Technology One tick either one of those boxes for you, Andrew? Technology One is a, just a phenomenal business. It just has done so well for so long. Uh, cons- not only really attractive growth, but really consistent growth as well. I mean, you, you could cager the the uh, earnings at almost exactly 11% per year for the last decade or so. Dividends have never gone backwards. And here's, here's something that's unusual for a tech company. They've all pretty much been self-funded uh, and paying a dividend while they're growing. Um, so a lot of rubbish amongst the tech sort of growth space that just got insane and deserved, deserved to fall a lot. Um, this this was under this was actually a real business and this has still got potential i think and probably can sustain that rate of growth so and it's got a lot of attractive economics i think management are really great here you know it's just i i the only hesitation i have is one of price and we're going into a world of of higher inflation and, and higher interest rates and and that just makes it harder and harder to you know there was there was a time when you look at a business like this and go yeah P of 45, what's that? Nothing, right? Um, I don't know if we're in that world anymore. So you, you, the, the the danger, I think, for a lot of investors, they see a chart like what's on the screen there, and they go, wow, it's come back a lot, so ergo, it's, it's cheap. It's like, well, is the market irrational now, or was it irrational before? And I'm probably at the point where as much as I think it's a wonderful business, I still think at a P of 40 and a yield of 1.5%, it ain't exactly super cheap. For, and again, I'm 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 calling for sort of low double-digit growth. I checked out the forecasts uh, from what all the the analysts are saying. They're kind of around that sort of ballpark as well. So, do you pay 40 times earnings for a business growing at 10%? A great business, absolutely, but it just seems a bit pricey. So under seven, back up the truck. What a great business for for me. It's a hold though. Thank you. What about you, Claude? Uh, Technology One. It's got targets, firm targets for annual recurring revenue growth. It has plans to move a lot of its legacy still onto the cloud. It is expanding the business in the UK, which is going quite well. I had the chance to speak with the CEO a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, look, not ruling out a potential expansion into the United States. So is all of that negated by the inflationary and interest rate environment that we're in now? I don't think it's all negated, uh, Nadine, because with these higher quality ones, they do actually tend to satisfy the um, two Buffett criteria for investing in an inflationary environment. Um, 
because they're so integral to a lot of other businesses running their business, um, Technology One kind of does have pricing power because it would be extremely pain painful for their clients to suddenly move away. Now, it can happen, but it's a big project if it does. So, yeah, I think they do have a decent amount of pricing power on top of that. As a software developer, yes, they do have costs in their employees and, and they are subject to inflation. But I think that, you know, a lot of tech um, salaries are probably going to start topping out fairly soon um, because, you know, we've had a lot of talent that's been dedicated to stuff that's like just not productive, like crypto and NFT development and all that sort of stuff, which will be looking for a new home soon. And um, so generally, I think that, you know, this is the kind of business that should survive a tough period and, and probably continue to thrive on the other side. So I wouldn't say that negates it. This is definitely the kind of business you could put on your shopping list. I would say like it's definitely still a little bit too high for me. It has come down a little bit. But a lot of these higher quality software companies, technology one's not the only one. They got really high and they've kind of been slow to fall. Like it's been the lower quality ones that are burning cash, loss making tech, as they call it, that's really gotten smashed the hardest, the quickest. These profitable ones have come down a little bit slow slower, but that doesn't mean the pain's over for them. So yes, I do have a, a slight concern with price. And then the other thing that I would keep an eye on with these guys is I'd like to see that um, free cash flow as much as possible uh, coming up and, and keeping um, at a bit a bit higher cash conversion basically because their profit mm -hmm. does tend to be higher than their free cash flow which is really a, it, it can happen and it's normal when a company is investing in growth but also you, you, there has been some criticism of, yeah. criticism of technology one there so that's something they'll keep an eye on as well so would you buy it like Andrew if it was under seven dollars I think under seven dollars, yeah. Um, it would actually—I I can't promise I'll buy it because there might be other things that are quite low then, um, as well. If this starts to get down to seven dollars, and it's not my favorite high-quality tech stock, but yeah, I think under seven dollars, you'd be looking at a decently low PE ratio, and this thing's going to survive one way or another. Yeah. Oh, I have to do it. So, what is your favorite high-quality tech stock? Just, just briefly. Oh, come on, you know already. I do. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in, I'm just talking purely in quality. My favorite is Prometicus because it just has so many tailwinds, um, aging population, um, the, the increasing use of algorithms and AI in um, radiology. And I could go on for a long time. So that, in terms of quality, but like as with technology one, it's just priced too, yeah. too high for me to be buying right now. Andrew, you knew this question was coming. What is your favorite high quality tech name? Um, yeah, me and Claude bought Prometicus on the same day, so yeah. we, we love to remind everyone of that. 80, 85 cents, but who's, who's counting? Um, but before you think we're a genius, well, me at least, I sold plenty way too soon. But yeah, 50 times sales, uh, it's, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. it's hard to wrap your brain around. I'll tell you one, in fact, Nadine, in, after the break, be, after the gap, because it's coming up on the list that I just bought recently ah. this week. Oh, you're doing my job for me, Andrew. You know, you always do host this program so well. I've got to give you a call on that as well. All right, uh, let's just give these guys a bit of a chance to regroup. I'll run you through just briefly what we've learned. Webjet is Claude's cell. He says the world has changed. AMP is Andrew's cell. He says it's a people business and they are wrecked. Stealth Global, well, they disagreed on this one, didn't they? It's a buy for Andrew. In fact, he's been building a position there. He says they are smart acquirers. 
Claude says avoid, no pricing power, capital intensive. AGL, again, dividing my guests. I love it because you see that they do get along on many fronts, ProMedicus being one. <laughs> it's a buy for Claude. He expects that there could be a bit of re-rating. In fact, he's bought shares in AGL this week. Andrew says no, there's just too much vulnerability there in the business right now. It's a terribly run business in the past, he said. Expon Technologies, it is a sell for Claude Walker. It doesn't have a lot of history. It's uh, not anywhere that he'd be putting his money. It's an interesting one to watch, though. As far as Andrew is concerned, he was just going on the metrics as well, but he needs more information and history on that one. For Dr. Care Anywhere, Andrew enjoys the thematic. He says it has legs. He says it's interesting, it's looking very cheap, but that's not even enough to entice Claude Walker, who says, look at the cash burn. He thinks a capital raise is possible. He doesn't even know if he'd buy into that. It's an avoid. And Technology One, you both heard, or you all heard, both of my guests say that it's a really high quality tech business, but they'd both like to get it cheaper. And Andrew would put a price on it below $7, he would be a buyer. Claude was saying if it falls below $7, there's a reason and there might be a whole bunch of opportunities at that time. But I know opportunity cost is a big one for Andrew as well. So there you go. That's the first half of the program. The call is tracking our own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest investment committee meeting is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. Let's just check in with the portfolio update coming from the investment committee. Tab Corp, Domino's, Ardent, Tyro added to the portfolio this month. And we've shifted around the original allocation and cash holding. So down from 20% to just over 8%. This is the performance down 8.7% on a cumulative return basis since the inception on the 1st of March. Keep sending your request. We will keep putting the companies to our investment committee and that uh, will determine what they'll be considering next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Now, for the next half hour, we will be discussing Pointera. That is for Barry. Nathan wants us to discuss Laser Bond, A2 Milk for Remy, Sequoia Health for Heather, and we'll also be getting through Mad Paws. Okay, let's get right to it. Pointera, 3DP is the ticker code. Claude, I'll start with you. It's so, I always have to look up what this company does again. Maybe just briefly tell us because it's all about AI, algorithms. Is it an area of tech that you like? So it is an area of tech that I like. I'll definitely let um, Andrew do the full rundown of what they do and, and the tailwinds on that because I know he's more across it than I am. But basically, this is about data storage, in particular, 3D data storage. And basically, as I understand it, making that uh, more searchable and easier to analyze. And essentially, I think that um, innovation is in the area of 3D data storage. So that's sort of like LiDAR data where you... Um, might use it to sort of map a city or a, a railway line or something that you need to maintain like that. And so um, obviously because the 3D data is, you know, so information rich, it's also um, got some challenges with uh, storing and also being able to sort and like analyze easily. So that's the area of innovation there. And look, um, I have to say it 
has in its most recent quarter just switched over into operating cash flow positive. It's been even the last, you know, last year, it's kind of been at that break even level, which I think is a really interesting time to come and have a look at these kind of growing tech companies. Um, now, on the flip side of it, I should quickly just add that, like, um, I'm a genius who uh, bought this at around four and a half cents years ago and then sold it at 4.8 cents uh, for, for essentially no profit and then watched the thing go to like 80 cents or something. So I think psychologically, I'm personally a little bit damaged when it comes to this stock, having having watched those profits um, go without me. So that, that may shape my opinion of the business now. But the reason that I sort of was initially did actually change my mind and tried to sell it is because I feel like there's quite a lag between uh, when they announced their uh, annualized contract values and then the actual cash flow coming through. So I would actually personally more just look at the receipts from customers as a tool for valuing the company. And on that basis, you know, with a, a little bit under $2.5 million in the last quarter, which you could annualize to around 10. And then these guys have a market capitalization still of almost 130 million. In the way I do it, it still looks quite expensive to me just with the caveat being that I guess I have that sort of psychological bias as having got, you know, got off the train at like under five cents. Thank you. So now, Andrew, what can you add? I got on the train at under five cents. <laughs> um, but again, you got, you got the best mistake. of that one. Yeah, well, no, I didn't because, you know, it, it sort of it was it was a company, I think, that's very interesting. They're doing some wonderful things. Uh, leaders in this space, long way to run yada 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 uh and then um it was it slattery bought some shares and then yeah. and then the market just exploded and it actually goes above 90 cents claude and i i had uh, sold out most all of my holdings prior to then because it kind of a classic example of a wonderful business doing great things completely under the radar gets discovered and then just got pumped to all buggery by you know uh, chat rooms and the rest of it so it got silly um and now it's 19 cents so it's come back a long way and now things are a lot more interesting. So to answer your question from before the break, Nadine, um, this is something I, I uh, have dipped my toe back into recently. I, I'm thinking this looks really interesting. They are easily on track for 50 million in sales by FY25. Um, they're, they're growing, their annualized contract value doubled in the last 12 months. Cash receipts moving in the right direction, as Claude said, positive operating cash flow, massive optionality. It's sort of this this tech that's being used by utility companies and building digital twins and the rest of it. But it's got military applications, it's got metaverse applications. You've got anyone who's doing anything with 3D geospatial data as a potential to do this, and this is kind of like the the company that will that will host all of that data for you on the cloud. It's it's the it's the pro medicus, if I can say that, of 3D geospatial data. And uh, now you're looking at a price of about five times uh, annualized contract value. Seems pretty good for a business who's who's doubling its its sales every 12 months and probably adding about eight million dollars of of, oper of, of uh, yeah operating uh, sorry of revenue uh, at least per year and and probably accelerating so it's a good it's a good chance it could halve from here that's the nature of these businesses but come and see me in the year 2030. All right, okay. Laser Bond is next on the list for Nathan LBL is the ticker code. I'll start with you on this one, Andrew, if you don't mind. Yeah, so surface engineering company, they make things harder. Uh, and that's a pretty valuable proposition if you're a miner and you're like, you don't want your, your um, shovels and stuff to, to wear out faster than they otherwise would. And it's also a business that's just been incredibly well run for a long time. 
I want to give a shout out to Luke Winchester, actually, who first brought this to the attention of our members on Strawman a while ago, and it's just done incredibly well. He picked it perfectly. Um, doubled revenues in the last five years. They've recently had a really strong first half. The cash pile continues to grow. I think they're targeting something like 60 million in revenue in, in FY25. So it's about double where they are now, a little bit more. And you're getting all of that for a P of 19. So look, shares, they did lower their, their full year guidance a little bit there. But yeah, you know, I, I think it's, I'll go with, I'll go with the, um, the community on this one. Strongman members are basically saying it's around fair value at this stage. So I think if, if you want a good quality business uh, at a fair price, that's a buy. If you're wanting to be a bit more fussy and get a bit more of a bargain, maybe you wait for it to get a little bit lower. But yeah, there's there's far worse stuff out there. But for the sake of, of not being a broken record, I will say a buy for, for Ausbiz. Buy for Laser Bond. Is it a buy for you, Claude? Why or why not? Yeah, so this one is a buy for me. And I think that um, Andrew's given a good little rundown. While we're doing shout out, a fellow named Matt Brazier wrote, wrote about this years ago on, on Ethical Equities, which is how I got to know about it. Um, and it has re-rated since then, and um, it has re-rated since then, and it's kind of been flat for a while, which is actually its earnings per share have been flat for a while. Now, some of the things I like about this is actually ticks some of the like uh, qualitative boxes I look for. So, for example, I think it has honest, competent management. They're also aligned. The founders are still sort of in control of the company and running it. And what it does, you know, is it offers reclamation of worn industrial components, and it also has a manufacturing business which offers products um, like that have the benefit from their laser bond technology to make them last longer, such as steel mill rolls, rotary feeders, and other um, OEM consumables, right? So their selling point here is that their products last longer and that they can make other people's products last longer by applying their laser bond process to it. And on top of that, they actually have a technology business which is very up and down, which is purely just licensing their stuff which of course is very high margin when it works, but it is a bit up and down. And, um, you know, essentially it uh, does have a bit of, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't know if the P ratio is going to be for this forward year as, as low as Andrew said it, it's somewhere I'd say between around 20 and 30 at the moment, which is probably a little bit high, but I really love it for the current environment. And actually did buy some shares at around 80 cents quite recently in like the last couple, like week or two or something like that. Um, just because, uh, I feel like it's really got the right kind of business for the kind of moment that we're in. When you have an inflationary environment, making things last longer so you don't have to replace them becomes more important. As the value of whatever equipment it is goes up and the replacement value goes up, or there are shortages and supply shortages, the importance of making it last longer just goes up. So when this guy is an honest, competent business, run well, the long-term chart shows that these guys have been building a business in good faith, letting shareholders share in that via dividends. Basically, a lot of the ticking a lot of boxes, perhaps a little more expensive than I'd like, but I feel like it's got the right kind of business for where we are today. It's so I like it, and I would call it a buy as well. Double buy. All right. First of the day, A2 Milk for Remy, saying appreciate that the markets are dropping more broadly, but is A2 Milk starting to look attractive down here? Also, and this is sort of something you might be able to expand upon, Claude. Interested in the ethical component of being invested in dairy in comparison to be invested in other parts of the food industry. We'll have to keep it short, but A2 Milk, is it looking like good value, Claude? Uh, it's, not, it's not one that I would jump on right now. Like, I think that, you know, we're coming off a real period uh, where a lot of people 
bought into this idea that A2 milk was magical. And I think, you know, every, every like, I, I, example of magical thinking, they don't, it doesn't always last forever. And if A2 milk wants to continue to make people continue to believe in the magic of A2 milk, they're going to have to spend a lot of money trying to convince them with, like, advertising and stuff. And, yeah, look, it, it, if we're in a tough environment, like, why pay more for your milk? Just get your local milk. Uh, I guess I'll put aside the ethical thing a little bit. Like, personally, I definitely have no problem with the ethics of A2 milk. And I suspect from what I've seen driving around the country, you know, a lot of, a lot of cows, milking cows, are, are very happy uh, and, and I've got no issue with it at all. But I think that's each to their own in terms of the ethics. But, uh, yeah, no, in terms of uh, where this business is, like, it did have a really great brand. We're going to test some of that pricing power now. Obviously, I think it's just China's going to become an increasingly difficult market. Um, I don't think it's good for A2 Milk that China is now saying they're only going to give um, passports to their c- citizens under special you know, extra essential travel needs. Like, I don't see how that is good for A2 milk at all. So, um, yeah, generally, I, I'm not enthusiastic about it, but don't have a strong view either way. So I guess you could put me down as a hold. Thank you. Or a what sell. A, hold, hold a sell. Okay, Andrew. More sell, I'd actually say, yeah. Like, I think there's probably I'm going to put a sell. There, I've just crossed hold out. It's a sell. You're you. committed. Andrew, would you be buying, holding, <laughs> or selling A2 milk? No, I, I'm selling. It's, it's, uh, it's a different... Uh, environment that they're in now um I, I feel as though the only sort of competitive edge they have are these claims uh health claims which are yet to be backed up by science maybe they will maybe they won't uh forecasts are for 21 cents per share in fy24 let's be generous give that a pe of 25 you've got something that's probably around fair value today so it's an asymmetric kind of bet in the wrong way uh and uh you know it's hard doing business in china yeah <laughs> uh, to say the least so not for me Got it. Thank you. Let's go to Sequoia Group, number nine, SEQ. This is for Heather. Look, I don't recall ever speaking about this one on the call. What do you guys make of Sequoia as an investment proposition now? Andrew. Uh, I'm not overly familiar with it. I know that they're guiding for some pretty decent uh, revenue growth. Um, There's some acquisitions in there recently, Share Cafe and others, which may have accounted for that. So just back of the envelope kind of calculations on their recent margin, that's a NPAT of six, seven million. That's a PE of 15. Doesn't seem too onerous. They're doing a buyback as well with some excess cash. So, but you know, these businesses can be very lumpy. Um, They can be very, it's hard to sort of define a moat for these kinds of businesses. Again, they are people businesses. It's, and um, yeah, so it's it's very hard. It's, these are the kind of business where you have to have an intimate knowledge and, and strong view of the people running the business. And because I don't have that, I can't in good conscience say it's good or it's bad. Um, but it looks reasonable on the numbers. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go a hold. Okay, there you go. And uh, let's get a view from Claude. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, actually, I didn't know that there wasn't a lot on it. So I've, I'll take out my coverage of uh, the Sokoa Group uh results which i wrote in february i'll take that from behind the paywall and tweet it out oh, so i'm people sorry can have a read. I, maybe i'm confused about what it is then and i will you know mea culpa i get things wrong sometimes I'll, but yeah tell us about no, it no, no, I've, I've had that all hidden away I, i've never publicly covered sequoia group really because i didn't think people were interested in it okay. but um you know it is a, it is sort of like in the finance industry it does um basically it's a a back-end support and gives admin support regulatory support afsl compliance to the financial planning industry. So it's quite niche there. 
Um, and in the half, in the most recent half, um, you know, it's basically come through with its profit of two point um, six million for the half and free cash flow of two million even after the acquisition payments. Its dividend increased twenty five percent, and that suggests that you know at its current price, it's probably yielding a bit under two percent. So it's a little bit of a moderate dividend payer there. Now I own shares in this one and quite like it just based on that valuation. Now the company's recently announced that it's going to buy back shares because it thinks it's trading at about five points five to six times operating cash flow. So in a way, I suspect that the share price weakness we're seeing now in small caps may actually end up benefiting um, Sokoa Group if the company can buy back shares um, at an attractive price. Look, I think having watched the current CEO for a few years now, you know, the current management is somewhere between a decent and competent to actually really quite quite good, potentially stand out. You know, they certainly te- seem um, to be, I think on the more conservative time, for example, they had guided to say at least 2.1 million in profit, but they came through with 2.6 million. That's the kind of cons- conservatism that I love to see. It builds my trust in management. So they are sort of gradually ticking up in my view and, and I think building a bit of a decent reputation for themselves. Um, so I own shares in it. I quite like this one. Um, it could be a bit bumpy up and down over the next few years, but these guys are profitable, cash flow positive. They're going to buy back their shares if their share price gets too low. They're, they're playing the long-term game here. I think this is actually quite a high-quality little small cap for, for one's watch list at the very least, and, and I would call it a buy. Thank you. High-quality little small cap. Music to my ears. All right, let's get into the last on our list. Mad Paws for Lloyd, MPA. Mad Paws, he says, looks like a fun business, but is it worth a punt? Do you invest based on fun? I know that it was a recommendation from another guest that we had on earlier in the week. Uh, Andrew, Mad Paws. Yeah, again, I'm not familiar with it yet. No, you don't um, invest for fun or you don't invest in something for fun. <laughs> you invest in something to make a good return um, and you don't punt on it. Uh, you know, there's uh, not for me anyway. So um, look again. So I have to just go off the numbers. Revenue up 200 percent at the latest quarter. You have had five million in the last nine months. Uh, a lot of things seem to be going their way. Um, and that looks that looks really interesting. One thing I would say, though, it is a yet to be cash flow positive. We're not in the environment. The market is in no mood for that uh, at the moment. And we are at a business for, again, rough numbers. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I am, Claude, but I think it's about seven times sales. So small nano cap business, bleeding cash, high valuation, maybe justified because because things are going really, really, really well. Um, uh, so if that momentum continues, it, it, it could be great, but that's, that's just a high level view. And, and for all of those reasons, it's a hold. Got it. Thank you. How about you, Claude? Because some people talk about our love for our pets and everything that goes along with it as a megatrend. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like a thematic or whatever. Um, You know, I don't think that that's going to be enough to carry these guys through. Just looking at the last quarter, look, I think Andrew was right, but maybe a little bit generous for my book. Because looking at the last quarter um, with Mad Paws, you know, I'm seeing... uh, cash outflow of uh or you know 2.3 million dollars and about um less than 9 million on the bank in the bank there right so at the current rate then you know they got to raise capital in six months now you can take the view there might be a buoyant market where we're like chasing idea stocks in six months and that's easy to do for them but i think it's probably more likely in the current environment that you know all these companies coming back to market to raise more capital to fund their ongoing losses in six months times can you imagine, you know, we've had about 
four or five months of a really quite sort of bit of a tough market this year so far, right? But And you can already see people being like, oh, blood on the streets and all that sort of stuff. Well, imagine what the sentiment's going to be in another six months. I think it's going to be quite low if we if we have continual raising rates, which is what's forecast. So, no, I think I, I would actually probably avoid this one and I'd call it a sell. Thank you, guys. That brings us to the end of the program. Let me just sum things up before I say my thank yous. And if we go to Pontera, it is a buy for uh, Andrew Page from strawman.com. But look, Claude has been burnt by this one. He just couldn't find it in him to give it a buy recommendation. Laser Bond, it's a buy from both of my guests. A2 Milk, it's a sell from both. Uh, Claude says you've got to have a lot of magical thinking and spend big to get continue to convince people that your milk is better. Sequoia Financial, Claude knows this one well. He's going to release some research on it. Thank you, Claude, because I think I need to do some. And it's a buy from Claude. It's a hold from Andrew Page. And no fun, no punting on Matt Paws for Andrew Page. The metrics don't look too bad. He says it's a hold if you're in it, but it's a sell or an avoid if you're not in it for Claude Walker from A Rich Life. That hour absolutely flew by for me. Claude, I know that you need some sort of a big pot of gold at the end of your travel rainbow. I hope one day coming to see us here will be it. And Andrew Page, don't worry. I'm going to get you in this chair to host as soon as humanly possible because you're very good at it. You even did part of my job today. All right. Thank you. Have a good weekend. If you've got a question you you would like us to answer, email us. The call at osbiz.com.au at osbiztv. And you can check out that portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Check out the investment committee. The most recent meeting is up online now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.